Dream On. So it is a three-part series. I did see all three episodes. What happened was I saw episode part two, and then it must have just gone to part three, and I didn't even realize that I was watching part three. But yeah, I did see all of it. Um, so but it, I think so, it was crazy how much they... Like how how often they had to travel and that they were undefeated the whole time. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, they almost lost uh, against uh, I think the Russian team. The oh, Brazil, yeah, Brazil. yeah. Um, but yeah, like the beginning when they show that player, which I'm sure we'll get the name soon, um, and her son's like asking her about the medal and Do you the remember? newspaper, the newspaper clippings, and she's like, "I don't." And at first, I was a little confused, and I was like, "But this is really sad, you know, the fact that she won a gold medal." But she has no memory of it and doesn't seem to remember any of that time. And he's kind of like trying to like, you know, he's he's telling her all these, you know, highlights of her life. Yeah. But she's just like, yeah, I don't I don't know. Well, you know, the I watched that documentary and I watched it with a lot of like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I don't, I don't know if this is something that I would pay attention to. Not because it's women's sports, not because it's it's. You know the uh, uh, not because it doesn't seem interesting, but because it's like okay, I don't feel like they're gonna live up to all of that it looks like it is. Because like to me, they just talked about that one women's team. I thought they were gonna at least talk about a little bit, you know, how they were negotiating. Or at least talk about the inaugural season of the WNBA. To me, all they talked about was women's basketball gave rise to women's professional sports. But the thing is, the WNBA is the third incarnation of a pro women's basketball league. I felt like they didn't touch too much on I the, agree with you there. The, the beginnings of it. Yeah, I agree with you there. I was expecting the third part, which I realize now <laughs> that's what I, I watched. Um, yeah, I was expecting that the whole time. I was like, wait a second, like, where's the, you know, I was expecting them to talk about the draft and how they formulated the names of the teams in which yeah, you know, ex- cities got the W. Like, I thought that was, you know, th- this is the catalyst and then this is the product mm-hmm. and they didn't talk about the product. They kind of just like, yeah, the product was created and that, and that was kind of it. Yeah. Like, it, you know, if I wanted to know that, I could have gone on and watched the Dream Team's documentary about how. You know, after they got robbed in the in the what was it, the eighty eight Olympics? After they got robbed in the eighty eight Olympics, they came in and brought a bunch of W you know NBA All Stars to do the dirty you know do the dirty, but they didn't necessarily touch on that. You know, they touched on it a little bit. Then they touched on the uh, the the rise of the team and how we're like, oh, just because you're on the national team doesn't mean you make it to the Olympic team. I was like, holy shit, that's that's pretty brutal. That's pretty brutal, yeah. You know Did I mean? they really cut anybody, though? Because I got the impression they, they didn't. didn't. They didn't. And they the, just brought on players. And what got me was I was watching, and I was like, okay, Rebecca Lobo. I rem- now I remember when I told you that I thought Rebecca Lobo was hot. Yeah, I think I remember you saying that when and your brother every, was here. Every time Rebecca Lobo came on the screen, I kind of blushed a little bit. She looks hotter now. She looks freaking amazing now. You know, Cheryl Swoops, I was like, oh, you know, she's the one that I was like. Lisa Leslie doesn't age either. Yeah, Lisa Leslie, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was yeah, like. Lisa Leslie still looks good. And, yeah. I, and I was talking, they were talking about Rebecca Lobo, like, yo, they use this woman as a marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. She was, she was like the face of, hey, you know, the team is going to be great because they got a youngster on the team and, and, you know, 
You know, if you're trained by Gino Ariema, obviously you know how to play basketball. Yeah, you know how to play. I felt bad because I was like, I got the impression that Rebecca Lobo in in this the this dream team was pretty much Christian Leitner. You know, that's what they were comparing Leitner her to. Too. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't know what Christian Leitner was treated like. But I know, I mean, based on the I Hate Christian Leitner um, documentary, he seems like the type that was like. I'm a rookie, but I'm I'm still gonna talk crap. He would be the basketball version of Randy Moss. If you want me to lose, stop me. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, to me, that the I, I always called I always called Christian Leitner the White Reggie Miller because mm-hmm. I was like, yo, if you if you want to beat Christian Leitner, then then beat him. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, there's no one way to guard Christian Leitner, and by the looks that they were talking about him from the what I what I remember. They didn't take it easy on him. The Dream Team didn't take it easy on him. They slapped him around, treated him like a rookie, I guess. But in the case of Rebecca Lobo, it was like she she was forced, not forced, but she adapted to the pressure and she had a huge chip on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. I've never seen somebody with that big of a chip on their shoulder. Ever. I was like, yo, that chick totally deserves all of the accolades that she's got because they put a ton of pressure on her to succeed. They did. And they didn't even know if she was going to last. Mm-hmm. They, they had a feeling that she was going to be the first one gone. Yeah, yeah. And I felt bad for her. I, was right, like, I did too. I, I mean, like, I, I didn't realize that she had that much writing against her. Like, I really thought, you know, I was like, Rebecca Lobo, to me, struck me as the player who you know kind of was the next star and i mm-hmm. didn't realize that she was going through all these struggles in this document like in this this whole time that she was on the dream team did you see the scene where they were at the diner and you had like four of her teammates eating at one table and she was eating by herself, herself. yeah oh. yeah i did feel i felt bad that was one one uh one scene that i was like oh that, that was, was pretty painful and yeah. the fact that like it's little no yo first of all i will say this the bill clinton cameos were amazing. <laughs> I was like, "Yo, they brought in Willie for this one, bro!" Like, come yeah, on. he was such a. Well, I mean, this was uh, the, the Olympics were in Atlanta. You know, he was just everywhere. At that this time. is Bill Clinton we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, too. he's president there. Uh, is it Carla McGee? Carla McGee, right? That's probably it. I, I think they went by their their nicknames though, and I forget what her nickname was. Um, but yeah, she's because you said she played in Tennessee, right? She played, yeah, she played at Tennessee. At Tennessee, yeah, yeah, that must be her because she was the center slash forward. And her accident occurred, I think it was in Louisiana. It was like five mm-hmm. years after. Yeah, right. Is she from Louisiana? No, it says Peoria, uh, Illinois. That's that's her hometown. But she might have been um, raised at that point at that right. time. Yeah, um, yeah, that was kind of the sad. Like it was like a bookend, you know? It was like it just. You start off with that sad sadness that this player lost her memory, and then they they end it kind of pretty much at that point where she had the accident, and then she's they're you know like highlighting her career again, and uh, you know she's just not she doesn't have any memory, and you could tell she's kind of like struggling when they re- have a reunion, and she's didn't she cry? I think she cried. She cause did because like she wanted to remember so bad, and I I kind of caught on to where like. She's in order for her to follow along with the conversation, she had to hear everybody else talk about it. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they had to fill her in. And what kind of caught me off guard at the end, I was like, Imagine achieving something so awesome and not remembering what you did. 
Yeah. And every single day, you have to force yourself to remember you did it, but it's just not working. Yeah, that's... It's that's, sad, that's dude. Sad. You know what I mean? Like, And the fact that her son is there to help her, you know, that's amazing. Amazing, yeah. But it's like, dude, it's like for me, right? Like the Special Olympics to some people weren't a big thing. To me, it was a huge thing back in the day. If I, if I had lost any semblance of what that entire four or five month journey meant to me, I'd be kind of pissed. Because yeah. it's like... But like, I guess that's what's crazy is like, what it, I mean, I'm assuming that people who have lost, you know, their memory of... I think it wouldn't it be like pretty much like you wouldn't I don't know if you would be mad you'd just be like well I don't know it you know like I don't I don't know anything of that time or that past um so I don't know if you would be mad or would you you it's, know I guess you would I guess it's just like okay like uh, okay I mean like if you're saying it, it's like a gap like this is one gap in your memory and you're just you don't remember anything in that you know for that particular time frame but you remember everything else yeah it would be i would be very upset and mad that i couldn't remember that it's like not being there yeah you know what i mean you were there but you it's like okay it's like being there at the arena but the doors are locked you get me you yeah. were there you were part of the celebration but you weren't in the in middle the of it all yeah you know what i mean it's like it's like you forget a password you know what i mean you're pissed off and you try to figure out that password and you know you know it but you don't know what it is so like that to me like i was like wow like she went through an incredible amount and she looked like she knew a lot about the game of basketball yeah 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 she did you know I mean, you try again you train under gino oriema and pat summit you're no slouch or this coach uh tara van der Veer. oh yeah. i thought of oh she was Brutal. She was brutal, man. Uh, I mean, I got to give her brutal. credit. That was one thing about the documentary that I got to admit. That was like, she was a character, even though she wasn't, you know, necessarily interviewed a whole lot. But just her way of coaching that team was, I was like, wow. Like, I don't think I've even seen some of the men's, you know, sports teams have a coach to that level. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. What the, what the hell? What was that guy's name from Indiana? I oh, Bob be, Knight? There you go. Mm-hmm. I would I would compare her to Bob Knight. Yeah, I, I yeah I could say and, I could see that. Yeah. yeah, and then in a sense, he she reminded me of my coach. She reminded me of my. She coach. was tough. She had the ability to just straight up say, "You suck." <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you know me when I was playing basketball, I had a coach. I mean, again, I sucked. My career was nothing special, but we had a coach that would come in and imagine just telling a bunch of seven, eight, nine year olds, "Hey." If you guys don't know how to catch by Thanksgiving, you're off this team and you're not getting your money back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or imagine telling a fat little Spanish kid in a wheelchair, Freddie, you're the slowest one on the team. I was like, thanks, bro. Like, she looked like a ball breaker. She did. She, she did. Was, but she, she looked like she just also had psychological games going at the same time where it was like, you know, the players sounded tired, you know, like like when they're expressing like what they went through, it sounded like the games, not only were the games brutal, <laughs> physically and mentally draining, but it seemed like the practices and then outside of the practices were also like these mind games that were playing, plaguing them basically the whole time that they were playing on this team. She looked like she would make Gina. I mean, she looked like she would make Bob Knight and Mike Krzyzewski cry. <laughs> Probably ball game. And I, I was like, I was even thinking I felt bad because these they took pay cuts to play 
for this yeah, for the Olympic yeah, team. They, where they, they said they, they could make more money overseas and they could put up with stuff like that because they're getting compensated. But I was like, to not get compensated for like, what, two was it two years or three years? Because I know that they... they Somewhere they, between two to three. Yeah. And they said... And it was interesting that they, they trained for so long for the Olympics. And, it, and it's not that they took... I guess you can call it taking a pay cut, but they just flat out refused 600, you know, six-figure offers or, mm-hmm. you know, to go play and be a part of this thing. Yeah. Which, again, I felt was a very, very well-done documentary. I felt like it was one of those documentaries where, again... Didn't think I'd like it, but I, I paid attention. Same here. I, at first, I was a little hesitant to watch the, the first episode, but I was like, you know what? I definitely remember that team. I remember how, like we said, it was a catalyst to the WNBA. So I I would say the only thing, I think to me, this would have been a great 30 for 30 if they had gone and said, you know, like how the WNBA really was formed because of this team. right and it's like at the very end they show p- people like sue bird diana tarasi you know all the cynthia cooper cheryl swoops all those and i'm just like well why would you make a documentary about women's basketball but only talk about the wnba at the very end for like the final nine right seconds? yeah i agree i i totally agree with you there i was very disappointed I really thought they were going to talk about, you know, like Rebecca Lobo going to the New York Liberty and then Leslie, yeah. Lisa Leslie going to the L.A. Sparks and then all the other teams. And, you know, because you already had this dream team and now you're kind of splitting the dream team to go and play. They're, be, they're going to be the star players in, in each of their teams, respectively. Right. So I'm like, I just thought they were there was going to be a lot more, you know, information on, on how the league formed or at least. You know, maybe another like I wouldn't say that they needed another episode, but maybe I think if they it did, I think if okay, if you're, I gonna, mean, I would of course I would have wanted it in retrospect, but I'm like, if let's say they they really had to cut it, you know, or maybe like add something, or maybe I don't know. There, I felt like there was something where they they really could have added an extra half hour on that, just on the on the formation of the or at least the inaugural right. season of the WWE. Well, that's what I'm saying. If they would have had a fourth episode, it could have been something about you know, at least talk about the first five or ten years of the WNBA, you know, like, because you had a plethora of people that were just coming out. And I think what's really weird to me, the greatest female basketball player of all time wasn't was wasn't even mentioned, really. And that was uh, Cheryl Miller. Oh, Cheryl Miller, Reggie yeah. Reggie Miller's sister. I, yeah. think she, I think she's better than Lisa Leslie. I'm shocked <laughs> that Cheryl Miller didn't play for that team. But going back to it, I mean, at the very end, they talk about the WNBA, but they also talk about... All they talked about was Rebecca Lobo went on to play 11 seasons in the NBA and has been an ESPN commentator for the last, since 2004. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Did she do anything while she was in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and they talked about, oh, Lisa Leslie was the first female to dunk in a... Yeah, they kind of yeah they they highlighted stuff that I was like I don't okay cool nobody needed to know yeah. that like or if I, we do yeah I just I just felt they really dropped the ball there I was like they didn't stick the landing on this one for, for no, the, this no. <laughs> this was I gotta admit for like I guess out of all the thirty for thirties I think had that part been added to the end would have been one of my top I guess somewhere around the top five. It, it, w- it would have cracked an honorable mention in my top five. Uh, okay, say. all right, yeah. It would have cracked an honorable mention. I just think that it, it definitely had a lot going for itself, and then 
it just kind of Stopped. flat at the Stopped. end. Stopped. Unless uh, the, the only thing I could think of is now that you're, you're we're talking about this is uh, unless there is a thirty for thirty, thirty for thirty on the WNBA that we don't know about, and maybe they were like, "Hey, sorry, but we kind of need you guys not to." Air this part because we got a documentary coming. Well, no, but I mean, okay, come on now. What make, what doesn't make sense is for the 25th anniversary of the WNBA, you're going to talk about the female Olympic team? You're not just because... You're yeah, not yeah. going to talk about... You know what I mean? I mean, I thought that's what the, what was the lead up for that. I, I Same agree here, with you. I was right. like, okay, yeah, the 25th uh, anniversary of the WNBA... What better way to bring this, you know, 30 for 30 that pretty much highlights how, why this team was so integral for the WNBA. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I mean, they kind of alluded at times about David Stern, who was like, you know, kind of pretty much like making it seem like if this team falls apart or anything less than gold, then the WNBA will not exist. So, okay, okay. So so that, to me, gives me a new dynamic. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. How many people expected that team to fail? People expected them to flop because they were often being compared to the male 1992 Olympic team. But they did. But you know, the dream team only being for the 1992 team. They also go back and talk about the the women's 1996 team, which again, they got beat. If they would have won in '92, that's what this documentary would have been about. Mm-hmm. They go back and they do it again in '96. Six, yeah. And then five or six months later, they get the announcement that the WNBA is gonna is gonna happen. Yeah. So yep. if they don't win those sixty games, or if they don't even medal, nothing happens. And I think a lot of people were banking on them to fail. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, because that's the part that they kind of alluded to was just the whole like, even just like a one like losing one game in that whole two year. You know, time that they were training would have been a total would have setback. been a yeah total setback, and then God forbid they would have lost uh, a game or a medal round. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, it would have been over a, a wrap. So yeah, they they had tons and tons. Like it was, I just I guess that's what was great about this documentary. It just you realize like how much they pretty much came. You know, like one loss could have really been devastating for that entire league. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is so that's, much. I guess that's why I was like, pressure. this thirty for thirty definitely gave me a, like it made me feel like even though we know that they they got gold, you know, we knew that they they, they ended up winning. Well good. But but when you're watching it, you're like, uh, did they end up losing any games against like you know the the exhibition games that they had? You're like, they must have <laughs> lost one, right? And then you realize, no, they went completely undefeated. But still, people doubting them as the Olympics, you know, started. Again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, okay, one loss and it would have been ball game. Have you ever had a scenario, I mean, maybe sports or not sports related, like where you would say like you had that much pressure and then you still managed to succeed? Court interpreting. <laughs> Court interpreting. Court interpreting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was uh, the scenario? So it was my very first case ever going to Florida. When I found out that this isn't your average like elementary school uh, sitting in a principal's office translating, mm-hmm. I realized, okay, this is this is the real deal because 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 you're playing 
essentially what you, what's in your hands, the power that's in your hands is is you did an amazing job and you were able to contribute to the greater good or your Spanish ain't up to par and you're just dead weight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was my first case. First case, I thought I was going to shit the bed completely and then wound up doing better than I thought and then trying to ride that momentum of case number one didn't turn out so good. So the I guess you could say I thought I was going to do so crappy on my first case. I wound up doing good. I became cocky. Mm-hmm. You know, being that good at your first thing it puts pressure on you to want to do it again and again. Right. So after my first case, I wound up doing cases in um, Arizona and then uh, New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were those turned out pretty damn bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and again, it's that reversal of you think you're going to do great and then you bomb and then you think you're going to bomb and you don't want, you know, you wind up doing spectacular. I guess. What, what about you? I think for me, um, I would say one was uh, when you, when I moved out on my own and I mean, I had my girlfriend at the time. So that was like one part because I was just thinking about it. But the second one was when we broke up mm. and then I was on my own, like. Completely on, completely on my own. And I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm on my own. I got to do these bills myself. I got to pay rent myself. I got to do all of this by myself now. And I remember just being like, how am I going to do this? Like there was a point of me, you know, like there's, there was a part of me that also was like, man, do I call home and be like, I need money, you know, <laughs> even though I know I was fine. I, cause I, I was really good with just budgeting, but I also knew I was like, man, one misstep. And it could be a wrap. Well, so could, could you imagine that pressure on yourself? Like, yo, if I call home, home I'm, a I'm a wuss. I'm quitting. Yeah, I'm quitting. Right. You know, yeah. if I do it on my own, no. maybe people respect me more. Yeah. I mean, I always knew. I was like, worst case scenario, at least I'm in a city uh, at the time I was living in Houston. And yep. I figured, well, worst case scenario, I'll just have to slum it in some really bad apartment complex, which I could find rent <laughs> for like 500 bucks a month. Right. Worst, worst case scenario. Um, but then, you know, I was able to, to figure it out and eventually bought my home. Uh, and, and that was even just, uh, another thing, but I would say that that felt like to me a lot of pressure, especially being in grad school too, at the same time and mm-hmm. trying to not only that maintain my job, maintain my, my home life, and then also go to grad school at the same time by myself. It was, a, it was definitely a lot. Did you feel like it was pressure you were adding on to yourself, or did you feel like, oh, it was just another? It's just another day at the office. No, the, to me, I felt like this is kind of like this, you know, like almost like this is kind of like the part of adulthood that you're like, this sucks, but you have to go through it. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, right. Because I mean, obviously, when you're living by yourself, there is that freedom. You know, like don't get me wrong, it feels good. You know, that you have your own place, right? You have your own furniture. You have your own. But then at the same time, you know, you also have to think about, you know, you got your bills and then all these things that kind of consume you and you just you're like, man, I kind of wish I had more time for myself. Right. And you lose that. You do lose that sometimes, you know, when you're when you're caught up with so much stress, you know, about things. But um, but luckily also had a good group of friends, you know, to be honest with you. I think that's also what what helped me the most, you know, it's just because I had friends that helped me move from like my fancy apartment to a low-end type apartment. It wasn't bad, but it definitely was, definitely was, you know, some people wouldn't go there. From I can't believe it's not butter <laughs> to living in the gutter. 
Yeah, uh, it wasn't bad, but I remember it was just like, it definitely wasn't as nice as my first apartment over there. Sure. But then, you know, but I had my friends who like helped me move and helped me, you know, I remember helped me move to my, my home. They didn't have to do it. You know, I, I was trying to pay them. They didn't, they, they weren't hearing it. Um, but then also, you know, there was other things that, that like they, they, they just, I just had a good group that, uh, that I got to admit, if it hadn't been for them, that would have made it a lot harder. No. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, it's a great, that you have great, you know, a great group of people helping and surrounding you with positivity. Whereas to me, I'm different. Like I think, and this is a thank you to everybody, you know, that's been able to help me in some small form to you and your wife to, you know what I mean? The other good group of friends that I have. Whereas to me, I'm different, right? Like, I am the guy that another task means, even though I'm choosing to put on my shoulders, like, that's more pressure for me to succeed. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, I come from the mind that I spent years of my childhood training to play basketball and be an athlete. And did the physical aspect of it work out? No, obviously. But you're, but you're always going to be stuck and... Enshrined with that athlete's mentality, you know. Yeah. How do you how do you react or respond under pressure? So it's like every task you take is pressure. Like you know me, when I first started working, everybody thought I was absolutely crazy. Like why would you want to leave such a comfortable life? You know, you're getting help. You know, you're living rent free. Why why would you want to? Why would you want to trade all that? Well, if I didn't. And again, this comes from the mind of my brother, Brian. If you don't do it now, you'll never do it. Yeah, that's true. And if you'll never do it, you'll never have the experience. And he tells me, he's like, you who always say that you want a partner and a girlfriend and you want a family and you want to be a father. Well, it all starts right here. It's true. So every little thing you do is a march toward that goal or set of goals. It's true. So when I started working, I... I started to put an immense pressure on myself. And it wasn't who I was doing it for or why I was doing it. It was what people didn't see was that I wanted that experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I started working in 2018. Right up to now, I would say I've been pretty successful. So the short version of it is, yeah, man, you we are the ones that determine, you know, how much pressure we put on ourselves to want to succeed as bad as we do. Right, right. You know? Yeah. But on to another documentary. <laughs> yes. All right. So this one you said made you cry. Yes. Okay. So we were talking about this in our break. Um, I got to admit, man, I wasn't a fan of this one. This one to me mm. ranks on the low end for me of the 30 oh, for 30 series. Are you sure Wait, you don't want to watch you, it again? You said it's uh, it's not 30 for 30, that it's an E60. Yes. Okay. Yes, so if that's the case, then it's not a 30 for 30. It's an E60. But, but it will be in the in the Hulu library. Right. I think yes. ESPN Plus is in the Hulu yeah. library. So I didn't like it only because I had seen I there was there was you. a short. They had a short for it where they showed like ten minutes and they talked about the imposter. Uh, so this is the, this is the one. It's, uh, it's called the imposter. It aired, I believe, it's it, this week. It the aired. imposter and me. Yeah. Um, and it follows this guy named Barry Bremen, right? Barry Bremen. Barry, yeah, and he seems very colorful character. I kind of felt like they took most of what was in that short. You know, that 10-minute short that they aired like two or three years ago, they basically added on a little bit more, and then they twist it by saying, oh, yeah, he also donated his sperm, and now he has 60 kids. Unfortunately, oh. 
he passed away and then he wasn't able to meet his kids. Donated. Homeboy was giving it out like soup kids. I don't <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there that's a whole other topic about how, what was going on there. But I guess for me, it was like, okay, I guess I felt like there could have been a little bit more on the, um, since they had the short, uh, the short documentary, I kind of felt like they could have expanded a little bit more there, and they didn't. Um, they kind of gave a little bit more of the backstory of how it got started, and then they kind of gave just almost the same stuff that they gave in that short documentary on this one. It just made it longer. That's all. I guess I just, I guess I wanted to know a little bit more about the man. I felt, I felt like I, like he was all hijinks and they kind of talked about how he was such a character, but I felt like that was, there was something missing. But I felt like that was everything right there though. Okay. My definition of it and the way I would explain it. He was a larger-than-life character Mm -hmm. because he came from a family of larger-than-life characters. Well, his wife wasn't crazy about what he was doing. His wife wasn't crazy about it, right? But at the same time, he said, you know, did did me and my dad laugh and have a good time? Absolutely. Do I laugh and have a good time with my kids? Absolutely. And I thought of it as like, okay, we all, like he said in the documentary, right? Sports stars want to be celebrities. Celebrities want to be sports stars. Right, yeah. And you're talking about a guy who's neither of those, but somehow has these ingenious ways to become them. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, I mean, so, so I get that. Because they kind of, they, they, they also mentioned, like, he couldn't have done this now. Like, there's no way he would have been able no. to do this now. Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe he would have been able to do it once maybe twice but that's it like they would have been able to catch on i mean look at fake clay thompson clay thompson the fake clay thompson got kicked out of the arena even though he had been doing these these hijinks for some time already but but i'm thinking like i guess at that time he was able to get away with it and i guess the the thing that i guess um for me that was missing is that i guess they talked about how he was larger than life but I didn't really see that larger than life persona outside of these, you know, imposter things they wait, did. What? Like, like I, well, that I kind of felt right? like I was drinking flat soda. Wow, you know, like, I, this was the, to me it was like a flat soda. No, you know, it just there on. was missing the the fizz was missing here. There was something wrong with this documentary. There was just something missing that I was just like, I'm not connecting to this guy. Okay, I'm not connecting to him. Do me a favor because I've done a lot of your homework assignments. <laughs> I'm going to make you do one. Okay, watch it again. I'll watch it again. Watch it again. I, I will watch it again. But I felt like like the hot dog eating guy. He had a larger than life personality. Like I felt like he had more personality than oh, this guy. Maybe I I don't know. Maybe they felt. I felt like maybe because there wasn't as much footage maybe with this guy because he kind of like once he stopped doing it it just seemed like he didn't really have there wasn't really much uh video on him afterwards well yeah i mean and also because like i said a lot of it was before the advent of social media and constantly recording things and this that the third but it was kind of cool it was kind of interesting that he was one-upping himself right that's what i did think was cool what i what i got from it all about the guy was this is a guy that he doesn't care if he gets caught. He's not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. Nobody's in any danger. Right. And this guy is very nonchalantly walking up to the players, be like, "Hey, my name is Barry Bremen. Uh, I got a bet going on." To yeah, see if I, I thought that was you know, cool that the players were I, like, "Okay, cool." I, yeah, like you know, I I thought it was really cool. Where he was just talking to them, 
like he had known them his entire life. Yeah. And the fact that they were so cool with a hijink like that, it's like, That yo, I thought was cool, that the players were like, yeah, cool, we're, we're, we're going to run with this. He got to be in the All-Star game. He got to go play against, I think it was uh, uh, Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Then You know what I mean? Then he I thought that the, was funny. I wish, like, can we talk about how he did that? He did that. They kind of just said, oh, you know, he brought a caddy and uh, he had some balls. But I was like... I thought that one, they missed an opportunity there to kind of expand on that whole hijink. The one that got him caught, which the one that made him go too far, was when he accepted the Emmy for that actress. Oh, yeah. Not, <laughs> not knowing that the actress was in the audience. And he tells him, I'm sorry, so my name is Barry Bremen, and I regret to inform you that said name actress is not here tonight, and she asked me to accept the award on her back. That was horrible, And man. then... She stands up like... <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, I guess she must have been caught in the moment. She didn't realize what was going right. on. And she goes up on stage and they escort her to the back. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the one that got kicked out of the award ceremony. Yeah, that was horrible, man. That was... That was uh, that, that I remember being like, okay, why can't we talk... Why can't they expand on this one too? I was like, first off, why did they... That was the... the I think maybe that was what I didn't like is that certain parts, they just did not expand on... Why he did it, what he did, you know, like I felt like they focused a lot on the NBA All Star Game, which I was like, okay, that's how he started. But then the golf one definitely made me interested to see exactly what he did and kind of follow up on that whole story. And that one too, the Emmy, I felt like they kind of just they mentioned it, and then they were like, okay, this is the reason well, he stopped. And and I was like, wait a second, what happened to the actress? You know, like. Why did he do this? Like, why did he? Do, I, I get that he wanted to go and and get an Emmy or like do or, you know like play a joke, but it was like that was such a bad joke, and I don't understand why he did that. But you also got to remember he had accomplices, and when it came time for the accomplices to tell the story, mm -hmm. there were things that they left out. Like the golf one, first of all, his wife helped him with the NBA All Star, one, right? Because his right. wife was knocking on the door. Like I said, that they went into detail. Yeah, they on that did one. it. They did it together. Right. And then his, um, the other ones were actually help from his friends. Right. And they, of course, they keep him anonymous, though, because obviously they, they kind of alluded that Dick Schapp helped him, even though he didn't give him the, the media passes. But yeah. you, could tell, you could tell he probably did. Yeah, you know? Schapp had something to do with it. Yeah. You know? So, but, but then everybody else, I was like, there were no other stories from, from those accomplices. And I was like, maybe that's what was missing. Maybe that's why I didn't like this 30 for oh, 30. Yeah. And the thing to me was like, okay. What made me cry was that this was a dude that was so, 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 so full of life. Right. So loving, so caring, so adoring. This was a guy that just loved fun. He never felt like he outgrew what it was like to have fun. Right. And he brought that down to his kids. And, you know, his kids wound up having, you know, one of his kids... Wound up having cerebral palsy. And that resonated with me, not just because he has a kid in a wheelchair, but because the level of, like, the level of personality his son has came from just how loving and goofy and, and full of love and joy uh, Barry Bremen was. And to me, I think it resonated with me again. It was like, okay, this is starting to get good. But it's starting to go somewhere. Like now, the pieces are starting to connect. Mm -hmm. When they first talked to that girl, the bartender mm -hmm. from North Carolina, right? 
Then they talk to the other guy, the slick back hair. Then they talk to the fat dude, the poker player. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. These three are going to be connected. Well, I, yeah. And the numbers on yeah, the Yeah. And names. I was like, yo, let me go this way. It's like, at the end of the day, when they said he could have 60 or more, I was like, what the yeah. fuck? Uh, so for our audience who doesn't know, who don't know this doc, uh, documentary, um, so, so this is where the twist lies. So he, you know, got all these, uh, he was gained this notoriety for being an imposter for all types of sporting events and then he did the emmy one and that's the one that pretty much did him in because uh that was kind of like a really messed up joke it was also the one that almost led him to get divorced right yeah Yeah. apparently yeah that was really bad um so then he he basically stops doing that and the uh documentary focuses on the rest of his life and how he basically you know he was having he focused on his family life and made sure that um he focused on his in his relationship with his wife, and you see, you know, videos of of them going on trips, and you could see that he's still, you know, very personable and larger than life, you know. And then, unfortunately, he ends up getting cancer, and then he Passing passes away. away. Then they cut to um, a, a woman who is um, they pretty much hide her her identity. But then she talks about how she took a 23andMe genetics test, and then lo and behold, turns out her dad is Barry Bremen. And then 60, she goes on yeah, 59 other people also, you know. Um, so apparently Barry Bremen had been going to um, sperm uh, clinics. <laughs> they don't, I don't, what do they call them? They don't call them sperm clinics. Sperm banks. Sperm banks. There we go. Sperm banks. But his reasoning behind I'm sorry to cut you off, his reasoning behind it was beautiful. I, yeah, and I, I legitimately agree. I believe that that's why he did it. His wife and his daughters were like, he did it because he knew that there were people who could. Who I couldn't have like, children. I was like, yo, no way. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. Most people don't think about that. Most people think about when they're donating sperm. Money. Money. <laughs> money. You know what that's I mean? what I was thinking. I was like, right. man, they wouldn't. That's what I first thought. I was like, oh, they must have been struggling right. for money. And if this is, <laughs> no, no, that's how homeboy was eating, bro. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing. And, and you know what? A life like. Barry Brennan's man is just so freaking cool. Like that's who I mean. The the part that made me laugh the hardest of that whole thing uh, was when he was about to get the crap kicked out of him by Tommy Lasorda. Oh my and god, that was so funny. When Tommy Lasorda spotted him, he's like, "I don't give a damn who you are. Get the fuck off the field." Also, I was like, "That Mets jersey, the numbers on his back were so large. I was like, that can't be an official jersey." Yeah, <laughs> you know. What I mean? But uh, but also, I was like, "Okay, he's taking all that crap from Tommy Lasorda." I would have talked back. I would have been like, "Yo," so you know, I would have told him, "Chill out, man." Like, okay, I made the joke. You're not happy, but sh- shut up. You yeah, know, you know <laughs> I would have told Tommy Lasorda to shut up, dude. I would have. It just Tommy Lasorda just looks like he doesn't like anybody. Yeah, I mean, I was actually surprised that he was so apologetic the whole time. Then I was like, he wanted no maybe because maybe because he's from the Midwest. Because right. I was like, probably any New Yorker, I don't care how you know calm they are, I think they would have told Tommy Lasorda to shut up. I, I know I would have eventually. I would have been like, yo, shut up. All right, <laughs> like you're just going on and on and on. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Get off the field. Yeah, I don't give like, a damn yo, what you relax. do. Relax, or at least just be like, relax, dude. Like, come on, take well, a joke. Well, he did tell him. He's like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Well, but then he was like, but sorry. you've seen me before, or you've heard about me, and I was like, oh, he took that card out. <laughs> Ooh, he played that semi-star card. Uh, oh, yeah, man. yeah. But but, it, but I would say this: the only thing that I, I thought it was a weird turn. Because I was like, okay, so he he uh, donated his sperm, 
But then it just seemed like his wife was reluctant to meet these kids. And at first you get the impression that she didn't know that he was doing this. And then it turns out she knew what he was up to. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like he was doing anything secretive, but he, you know, obviously wanted to do this. She was okay with it. But then I'm like, how do you, why don't you want to meet these, these people? I thought that was kind of weird. Well, because like his, like, like his son, uh, explained, we don't know these people. We don't have a relation to these people. No, I I get that. I get that. But I'm, I don't know. I guess in my mind, I'm thinking like, I don't think they're expecting to like, I mean, I don't know. Were there expectations that they they were going to come in and say, "Oh, you know, we're we're siblings now, or we're half siblings now," you know, or like, or or uh, my dad was really famous and must have harbored a lot of money, and I'm here to collect my side of it. I mean, okay, if the, I mean, uh, I no, guess no, no, no. I don't could know. Have, I don't know about could, could, how how this happens or how this right. works. Right, and let me explain. Could that have been a reason? No, I'm not saying that. But you think of all the reasons why. She was so protective of, of him and not wanting to meet the kids is because she probably didn't know the true intentions of them. Well, I, I get that. But I'm like, there, there is that curiosity, though. I, I feel like you can't take that away from them. They want to know about their dad. He passed away. They don't know. They don't have any anecdotes. They don't have the stories based on. I mean, they can, they can search on the Internet, luckily, and they can find some, you know, all the stuff that he did. But I kind of feel like you, you should be able to share those stories with them, though. I mean, I, they wouldn't know, you know, like, I'm sure they have, like, characteristics. Like, like some of them said there are certain things that they have about them. Like, one of them mentioned how they were larger than life in their family. And their parents were, like, very low-key. And, and he couldn't understand why he was larger than life or, like, why he, he was the way he was. And it's just like, yeah, I'm sure he wants to know a lot about Barry Bremen that unfortunately he has to go through the family you know like the, the kids and i go through what the what his one one of his daughters went through the jewelry designer mm-hmm. she was like i'm sure barry bremen was a great person he's my bi- but he's my biological donor right i have a dad i was like yo like right and she the, stayed anonymous well, yeah one of the kids is feeling the same way the one of the other kids probably do and i i trace it back to like what brian said Brian, you know, when he told the story of how we all met and when he told the story of, like, having other brothers and sisters, you know, Brian's response was pretty candid. He's like, we know the number that's out there, but I don't care. I don't need to know the rest of them. But it's funny because, like, you seem to be on a defense. Like, you seem to defend that, you I know, do. with this documentary. I but, do. But when you met your brother, you wanted to meet everybody. At the very... At <laughs> he the, said you wanted to meet everyone. At the very beginning. Yeah. Then so what I, changed? I just grew to understand that he had a point. I... Whatever I was looking for, it was a waste of time. Because but, I already had it when I grew up with my brothers, Francisco and Miguel and my sister, Evelyn. I think what I wanted to kill... Was the curiosity. Okay. That was it. And Brian was just like, you don't need to be curious. Like, but if you weren't curious, you wouldn't have had a relationship with Brian. Probably not. And no, that, you and wouldn't. You, like, I, he didn't seem to care. Like He literally he would have been okay if you never reached out to him. And remember his goal. His goal upon wanting to bond with me because he wanted to find our sister. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But then he truly realized how much of a... Um, 
with something connected, yeah. obviously, because it was we connected. Uh-huh. What connected us, and he'll say it as a joke. He he felt like it would. He felt like he'd get to heaven faster if he befriended a handicapped boy. <laughs> that that was his goal. Like he he's told it to me. He's like, yo, I think I'll get to heaven faster if I if God reads on my list that that I was nice to a handicapped person. I don't know, man. I just feel like things. Obviously, you would have gone to Boston by yourself. You wouldn't have gone oh, yeah. with oh, him. Absolutely, things would have been completely different. Sure. But I still think, in the end, it worked out because of the curiosity. So that for me is just like maybe it's because I don't, you know, I don't, I know, no, I've no, not no. been in that situation. But I would be very, very curious to meet, you know, a Your family member yeah. that that wants to connect. I would be like, sure, why not, you know? But I get the the apprehension to say, okay, but we don't know their intentions, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm not a millionaire, so <laughs> what are you going to get out of it? You're not going to get much right. from me. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm defending out of it is the fact that, like, okay, I, I agree that, okay, I would, like, the daughter that, st- uh, that was doing the whole 23andMe campaign, mm-hmm. she, was the, she was, like, who I was when this whole madness started. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys are brothers. You should know that the other one exists. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. She wanted to bring to the attention that Barry Bremen left behind more than Barry Bremen's antics. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But in the left side of the, on the left side, that's what you defend. You defend the curiosity. On the right hand, you're just like, all right. Well, if some people don't want to meet, then you can't force them. Obviously, you know they don't. They have their lives. They don't feel like Barry Bremen. Whatever he did, they don't. They don't feel like that should interrupt the lives that they've constructed. So you got when you have somebody pushing you really really hard to meet, then your your curiosity just gets bigger, doesn't it? Right. But when you have people that are so stuck in their ways like oh, I'm not moving, I'm not doing it, you know what I mean? It's you learn to accept that that's what they either are or aren't going to do. Yeah, I would say even in that documentary, I would have been like, if I was in the position of the the siblings, right? I would have just been like, whoever wants to meet us, meet us. Whoever doesn't, and you know, really don't just don't worry about it. Like I'm not, I'm not pressing it. You know, like if they yeah. don't want to meet and they have their reasons, or you know, they just don't feel like you know this is it for them. Cool. But I would have been like everybody else who's curious. Yeah, let's let's meet. What was really cool was that the son in a wheelchair accepted. He accepted it at the very not, end. Not in the beginning, though. In the beginning, the beginning no. he was like, that's my dad. Like, who the yeah, hell do like, you think you yeah, are? You like, know? You're not going <laughs> to take him. of my dad. But, which I was like, at first I was like, oh, it sounds like a little kid. But, you know, like it's just like, because I was like, he, they can't take away your dad. You know, like they can't. Yeah, the, what, what your dad <laughs> did for you. It's like, okay, like, again, back to Brian. And we had a hefty discussion about this in Boston. The short version is simple. It To me, it boils down to... I look at my life one way, I look at my life another way. On the one hand, yes, I, there was a phase of two or three years that I was dying to meet every single person with the last name Ramirez in that circle. Mm-hmm. What changed it to me wasn't just Brian's influence, but it was also the way I was treated. When I was fired up and willing and wanting to meet these cousins and people and brothers, they didn't want to meet me. They turned their backs on me. They knew I existed. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to acknowledge who I was. They didn't want to acknowledge that I was the only disabled Ramirez, basically. Yeah, so I was going to ask they, you, I was like, I know this is a tough 
tough I'll, answer, I'll, I'll, I'll but I'm like, it. but it, but do you think that if you weren't, if you didn't have a disability, you think they would be a little bit more willing to? to Absolutely. Meet? Okay. Wow, Absolutely. That's terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to, to them, I was a burden. <laughs> that, that, no, no bullshit. I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Because because there were times when I would reach them on Facebook, mm -hmm. and, and and or they would reach me like, "Hey, Freddie, I just want to let you know, your dad's here at my house celebrating Christmas Eve." And I would tell my mom, I'm like, yo, mom, like, he's somewhere in Heightsville. Like, yo, I want to meet, meet this cat. As soon as word got around to him that I was looking for a homeboy, bailed. And I never heard from him again. Wow. Fast forward to the cousins. I'd be like, yo, cuz, let's hang out. You know what I mean? I don't smoke like y'all do, but I'll drink. You know, if y'all drinking, let's all hang out. They're like, oh, yeah, bro, I don't, don't sweat it, bro. We'll hang out. Yeah, you're cool. We'll talk more about my uncle. That's, that's what they would tell me on Facebook. Mm -hmm. But when it came time to actually party and do whatever, they left me hanging. That sucks. They left me hanging. I think, I, I don't know if they, you know, like logistics, they don't know the logistics of how, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm not trying to defend them. No, but no, I'm just no, saying, no. like, I guess sometimes, you know, like, I, I guess I remember even just thinking, like, man, what are the logistics of, like, us going on a trip together? Yeah. You know, and then I was just like, but I just got to be honest with you and ask these questions as, right. as, as uh, awkward as they may be or as stupid as they sound to me or they may, you know, like, I think they're stupid. But I, I have to ask them because I don't know, you know. And we asked, you know, we, we discussed it. So I, I know that that broke a lot because I was like, oh, okay, cool, then... We but, should be good, you but know. But that's the difference. That's the difference as to why we became best friends, as to why we're doing this podcast right now, as to right. why you took the time to ask. Right. You took the time to get to know me. You took the time to want to get involved in an aspect of my personal life. Mm -hmm. And that's how you became a friend. And these are people that are my blood, my family, who want to preserve the legacy of their uncle that he could never possibly have a child a child with birth defects. Jeez. You know what I'm saying? They they want to they they want to maintain that. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of get Brian's point. Brian's like, "Yo, these assholes ain't your family. If mm -hmm. they turn their back on you, do you, do you call them family?" Right. I think that's the one thing I would say that I liked about the captain is the Derek Derek Jeter said it yeah. himself where he's like, uh, "Loyalty one way is stupidity." Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was so loyal to those guys, and it was like, for what? For, for, for what? You know what I mean? And then it goes back to a story real quick that Brian was like, yo, I met this cousin that you were trying so hard to meet. She actually uh, met up with us, but she was ghetto and hood as fuck. <laughs> you know, and by the way, you talk to Brian. Brian's not down for 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 hood shit. Ghetto no, shit. he doesn't strike me. He, as. He's he's a he's a single scotch on the rocks, classy bar in Georgetown type of dude. Classy, yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? You won't catch him dead in a place like Fuego's or Galaxy Nightclub or this that and the, and that's where most of my cousins and those dudes like to hang out. Well, yeah, I mean. You know what I mean? And he, he told me something. He was like, look, I'm your brother. A, I don't want to be because I was looking for my sister. But B, I figured if I befriend a handicapped dude, I'll get to heaven faster. <laughs> He's like, but C, you're, I mean, I've grown to respect you. Yeah. And, and look at our relationship now. There's probably nothing that I don't tell or talk to Brian about. Like, that's just 
the level of our closest. So back to the documentary, I think his original four kids that were born were just like, this is the Barry Bremen that we love and treasure and preserve, and we're not going to let anybody else know okay. about it. Yeah, I guess, yes. You know what I mean? I could see that. The I other, definitely The could other see that. 60, let them figure it out through the paper clippings and the videos <laughs> and the archival footage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there were quite a few of them. Did you notice that there were quite a few of them? A few of them. That didn't even really seem all that interesting. Yeah, there were a few that didn't seem like they were kind of like, okay, you know, like I'll I'll see what this is about, and cool. and, and that's it, you, you know? know, and that's fine. I mean, like I was just more or less like uh, thinking, you know, sometimes it takes a while, you know, for people to kind of like maybe their curiosity is not there right now, or maybe it comes later. I don't know, you know, but it, I felt like it was just at least just have the door open for them to kind of hear these stories about a person that they unfortunately won't get to meet. And what did they say? 60 kids, 20 something grandkids, something like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a legacy to leave behind. Yeah. Um, so no, that's cool. I like, you know, now I'm like, okay, you know what? I will give it another watch, but I, I definitely, it's interesting how that angle, you know, I didn't, you know, I guess I didn't even put it into to see how this also kind of like affects affects you, you know, like it had, like it also had like a, a connection to you. I'm sorry, like it was more of a connection for you, um, because yeah, you you also had to go through the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yes, now I can see why you definitely connected to this Thirty for Thirty documentary. I was like, you know, something there, something there. The story's very similar. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I think for, uh, for Freddie and I, I definitely we will be looking. Um, We'll be looking at 30 for 30 documentaries, especially ones that are going to be coming out. And then we're going to be also um, looking at some old ones, you know, so that we can come up with our list of top five, top three, 30 for 30s that we definitely enjoyed watching in that library. So more on that in the future. We'll definitely have a lot more to say. uh, And hopefully we can get some feedback on that, too, as well. And at, at that, we're going to take a quick break. 